Amen. Guys, would you grab a Bible? And this morning, would you make your way to the book of 2 John? 2 John, yeah, that's where we're going to be this morning. We begin a series there. We finished up 1 John, and so we're going to just continue and do 2 John, and then we'll do 3 John after that, but kind of a mini-series, I suppose, if you want to think about it, for this little letter. We're excited to be there, so hopefully you're making your way there. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to grab one uh, in a chair nearby in front of you. You could grab one of those, and uh, we would love to have you follow along with us, or if you have an electronic device, you can use that as well. If you're joining us in the overflow or online, same invitation. We want to invite you to the Word of God, that you would open it up and be able to follow along with us this morning through His Word, and that He would speak to you the things that He has in store for you. So with that as an opportunity before us, I want to lead us in prayer, but I'm inviting you to pray. Would you ask that God would in His faithfulness speak to you? Just humble yourself and in His good faithfulness by the presence of His Spirit in this space to just believe that uh, if we would be those who would hear, He would speak. And so let's ask Him for that. God, thank You for this opportunity that You've put before us to be together in Your Word. But thank You that You're working in a way that's precise. Lord, You look on us and each one of us now, You know us. And I'm just asking that you and your good faithfulness would speak in a way that your word would be clear. But God, in the midst of that, you would give us just that that heart and just give us ears to hear, just ability, just enablement by you, so that your truth both connects into our heart, but works good in those things that you would have in store for us. Believing in your faithfulness to that, believing in your ability, Lord, I'm asking, we're asking that you would speak to us as your people. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reading somebody else's mail. Actually, it's illegal. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, like opening somebody else's mail, reading their email, it could actually be that which carries fines or prison sentences unless... Unless, yeah, unless they invite you to read their mail, unless they open it up before you and say, hey, I want you to read what someone has shared with me in a real way, that's what we have. Yeah, we're diving into 2 John this morning, and it's mail. It's a letter that John wrote. 2 John, 3 John, short letters that he gave, but ultimately that God himself is the author of. The Holy Spirit speaking, and he's inviting you to read this mail. He's inviting you and I to read this in a way that being able to see what's there, that he has something for us in that kind of just gazing into this letter that's laid out before us. Well, 2 John, that's where we are this morning. And as we think about a letter that's being written, maybe one of the first questions we ought to ask at the very outset is, okay, so it's a letter. And I'm telling you now, it's from the Apostle John, picking up like we did in 1 John. Who's it written to? Well, notice with me, if you have your Bibles there, verse 1 says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. 
So we opened up this letter, and we right off the bat see it's addressed to an unknown lady, that it's addressed to an elect lady and her family, her children. Now, it's really, really possible that that's exactly what we have here laid. Just it's written to a person, it's written to an individual, and if that is what we have before us in this letter, it's valuable. It's valuable because it reminds us of a God's care for people. If it's written to an, you know, a lady and her children, especially in that culture, it's kind of this place of God speaking into those that are sometimes you know, maybe a widow, uh, maybe unacknowledged into that, and there would be favor in that. There would be a sense of just God's care and even value uh, that he would place on a family. And so it's really, really possible that what we have here is exactly as it's written, written to this lady and her children. That said, it's actually possible it's something else as well. It's actually possible that what's written here is not to a specific person, but to a church. Now, I'm going to let you know right off the bat, Bible students are split on this. There's not a a one size, everybody agrees. Uh, But for me, if you're asking where I am, this is kind of what I believe we have laid out to us. That I believe what we have here is not a letter written to an individual, though that would be valuable and certainly possible still in the midst of it. But what's given to us here would be not to a person, but to a picture beyond that, to a place where it's speaking of a church. Why would we say that? Well, there are a few reasons. For starters, it's unnamed. I mean, it's just, it doesn't give us the name of this person. It just says to the elect lady. And then just says, hey, that everybody loves. Whom I love in truth, he says, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Now, it's not impossible that that's written to a person just saying, like, everybody who is of the truth loves you, and, and maybe that would be true and, 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 and just valuable in some spaces, but it would feel a little bit odd. It's like, well, that's, that would be a weird thing to say to a specific person uh, in the midst of that. Add to that, we have the blessing in verse 3 that we'll come back and talk more about next week, but it's worth noting that it says grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Grace, mercy, peace. Well, if you're a student of the Bible, you might recognize that grace and peace, those are the kind of twins of the New Testament. They're found in almost every letter uh, that we have in the New Testament. One of the things we believe, and we'll talk about next week, we think it's even just a synopsis of the blessing that we often do at the end of the service. You know, grace and peace, and grace and peace, and grace and peace, always in that order, powerful. But here, it's grace, mercy, and peace. It's got that inclusion of mercy. Now, that's found in only a couple spaces, in a few spaces in the New Testament, and the only other space it's found is what we know as the pastoral letters, uh, written in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, all have these, and it becomes this kind of inclu- like place of saying, hey, this is what we're speaking to. We're speaking you know, to you know, a church, to a people, to those in the midst of that, and so there seems to be some you know, kind of leaning into that. Add to that, go to the end of the letter, verse 13, it says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. 
So now we have not only kind of this unnamed greeting, this elect you know, lady at the beginning, then this elect sister at the end. Now again, it's entirely possible. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that he just happens to have like, okay, it's your sister's here and hey, I'm writing to you a letter. But again, if it's so, it's odd that it would not be named. Uh, it's coming across in a different way. And so all that simply to say, it's enough that many Bible students, and I'm in that uh, camp, would say, hmm, I think we have something different here. I don't think it's really a letter to a specific person, but it's a letter to a church. It's a letter to a church and yet using very figurative language to get there. So I would tell you I think that's what we have in front of us, and it's enough that we kind of head in that direction. If you're still in the other camp, by the way, and you are welcome to be there, much of what we're still going to say this morning actually still 100% applies. And so you can kind of land there and kind of think it through. Either way, if it's written to an unknown lady, or if I'm correct in telling you it's written to a church, the second question we have to ask is, well, why is it written this way? I mean, it's really quite obscure, right? I mean, there, there's no name, uh, there's no space, there's no place it's written to. Uh, we don't know anything about uh, where or, or what. All we have is this reference that says, you know, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Why might it be so obscure? Well, perhaps the most reasonable answer uh, that Bible students kind of look at this in the midst of this is probably it was written during one of the seasons of persecution that the early church was going through. Now, that was always a part of it. I mean, it was always what the Bible said would happen, and it literally did happen. Again, if you even know your New Testament, you know that persecution began there in Jerusalem, and you know many of the disciples were driven out from that and scattered, it tells us, in Acts chapter 8. You would find throughout the, the story of, uh, given to us in Acts that over and over, uh, you know, persecution happened. At times, Paul himself beaten and left for dead, you know, in the midst of one city. And so persecution seemed to flow consistently uh, within the church, and it did in waves back and forth. And it's very possible that that's what we have here. Now, as we think about that, it's worth, again, just noting that that's exactly what was promised to us. There ought to be no misunderstanding about this, that the, you know, when Jesus spoke to us and told us what was coming, he said it would be this way, and the last 2,000 years have been. Uh, persecution has been a big part of our history as a, a church in the world. It is today. Uh, around the world, brothers and sisters in Christ go through intense and severe persecution in places, and, and it's something about understanding that that's not to be unheard of. It's meant to be something we expect. Jesus said it this way, John 15, he said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they did, they will also persecute you. He says, don't think you're going to get treated better than I'm treated in this world. If this is the way the world's treating me, there ought to be an expectation that if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That is what's coming. In fact, Jesus would go on to say, these things have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's again worth noting that it was just a promise. He says, hey, in this world it's going to be tough. In this world there ought to be no misunderstanding that that's how the world's going to react uh, to the church and react to those who carry out the gospel and live that life out. He says, you're going to have trouble. 
you're going to have tribulation that's going to take place in the midst of this. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave the Beatitudes, and these eight Beatitudes that in some ways form almost a picture of a Christian heart, and the eighth one, almost like if you could view them sequentially or growing, this becomes the, the full orbed picture of what a Christian would be. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, you, ought to, you are blessed if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Like, that's a blessing. And then he adds to it, if it wasn't clear enough, he says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, Jesus just looks and says, if this happens, if this becomes a part of your, your life and world, there ought to be a sense that you just know, hey, that's a good thing. How blessed are you? And sometimes it would be physical, but sometimes it would just be words. Sometimes it would be them just saying all kinds of evil things about you, falsely. You know, for my namesake, he says, you ought to expect it. You ought to expect that's how the world's going to see us. That's going to, you know, expect that that's how they're going to respond to us. And it would seem that very likely this letter is written in the midst of such an occasion. Uh, We know from church history that very quickly in these seasons that in different locations, the church not only persecuted, but literally driven underground. Uh, that they were driven into spaces where they often had to meet in undisclosed locations, hidden locations. Uh, If you ever go to Rome, you could go down into the catacombs, uh, which is the burial, you know, spaces in, uh, under Rome, and history lets us know that it was one of the locations that the church began to meet, Uh, that, you know, unable to meet out in public, they actually went into the caves, and you can go into those caves, and you can find, you know, Christian inscriptions where, in different spaces, where they would say, okay, like, this is where we, this is our church. <laughs> this, 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 we, we're, we're not turning this graveyard, if you will, these grave spaces into places where we can worship, and they indeed did. The church thrived and did well in those spaces, even as it's doing today, uh, in Korea, North Korea, as it's doing today in China, as it's doing today in Afghanistan, as it's doing in Iraq and Iran and Sudan. I mean, the church is there, and yet in many of those spaces, it's illegal, and it's driven underground. Well, all that kind of puts us into the space that many Bible students look at the letter of Second John and would tell us, hey, that's probably what was happening. And so, with a very obscure reference, they're able to speak about it without giving any names, without giving any, uh, you know, locations, because those things would be dangerous in those days. That's an interesting thought. I mean, it's an interesting one for us uh, just to ponder for a few moments and think, okay, that's very likely what we have. And even if it's not written to a church, if it was written to a lady, you still have the same questions, like, why so obscure? Why not a name? Why not a location? We don't know anything about it. Probably same deal. There is a season right now where you'd have to look at this and say, there's a reason for the you know, lack of, of that kind of a clarity. There's a reason for it, and very, again, likely, it is because of persecution. So let's just let that set for a minute and think, okay, so that's what we're having here before us is this letter written in these difficult moments, in these difficult spaces, it's worth us understanding that. It's worth us understanding. It's worth us understanding 
that that again has been history for the church for 2,000 years. It's present around the world today, but it's also present with even the United States right now. now you guys probably know persecution is, has always been a little bit of our world. It seems to be increasing. I would say in the last couple of years, it's been kind of explosively increasing. Uh, that we, we watch things that are happening. We watch things that are happening around the world. And so maybe it's altogether even just helpful for us to begin gazing into this and think, okay, so what if that is a road we're on? What if that is a space we're going in? What would we learn from that? What would be the point of reading Second John that would help you and help me kind of navigate this season? What, what's actually being, if I can say it this way, modeled? for you and I in a way that we could look on this and say, that was helpful. That was helpful uh, for me to think through what's there. Well, let's answer that through a few ways this morning, a few things that we want to gaze upon. And one of them, we've already begun making uh, just allusion to an understanding, is it's very carefully worded. I mean, it's very carefully just laid out. Uh, Again, go back and see it with me at the beginning. It just begins with telling us who's writing the letter. And it just says, the elder. (laughs) That's it. Just two words. It's just the elder. Now, we know who it is. Church history lets us know this. You know, all throughout time, we we know who actually is the author of this book. It is the same author of the Gospel of John, of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and that's the Apostle John. Uh, the, the one of Jesus' disciples who were with him, actually the longest living uh, of, of the apostles. We did a whole study on his life at the beginning of 1 John. If that's fresh stuff to you, you want to go back and get that, you can get that. But we know that's who it is. We know that historically, we know that again, biblically, that's who's writing us. But again, it's just interesting just to simply say it this way, just to say the elder. Now, from a New Testament and even Jewish perspective, elder carries a certain amount of weight. It would be the equivalent of maybe us saying spiritual leader. An elder was someone who was esteemed, recognized as a leader in the midst of his people, a spiritual leader in the midst of a congregation, or in a family would be a leader of a family. And so we would catch all of that. But interestingly enough, understand this, this is not written into, you know, Jerusalem. This is written into a Roman world. And in the midst of, of, of the Roman world, uh, it's an interesting thing that they would have seen this word elder as even just uh, an expression, a dignified expression, but also just a statement. I mean, you could have just read this in kind of a Greek uh, Roman world as saying, the old man. Like, just writing, writing a letter. It's like, hey, it's just the old man's writing you a letter. You know, just, just in the midst of that. And right there is where it gets just this place of going, well, that's interesting. I mean, it's almost, if you will, code language that, you know, that believers would go, I know who that is. You know, I know, I know who this is. But for, you know, some Roman soldier who grabs this, it's just, just the old guy. You know, the old guy's writing you a letter. Just the old man's writing you a letter in the midst of this. It wouldn't have immediately appeared, uh, you know, what's there. And so, again, it's kind of just interesting that it's very carefully worded. That just would have come across within a Roman world as just a statement of of just an old man writing you a letter, though we know it's John. Then he addresses it to the elect lady and her children. 
I'm holding out to you, again, that I think biblically, and again, just kind of putting it all the pieces together, it's probably written to a church, and it's probably written to a, an, a, a gathering, maybe a, a hidden church, maybe one in the catacombs, maybe one, you know, kind of greeting in, in those spaces, and it's an interesting kind of reference. Uh, we would understand this, that to use the idea of a lady, it's a, it's a good description. In fact, it's one that's used, we are referred to in the Bible as the bride of Christ, that Paul would say, I, you know, as he speaks of the Corinthians, he says, hey, I'm, you know, just, you know, putting you forward is just, uh, you know, just presenting you in that way. He would write about it in Ephesians that as you look at marriage, you would think about how there's this picture of how that a husband loves his wife. It's a picture of Christ loving the church, but this picture of how a church responds. And so this picture of seeing a church as a lady, again, without spending tons of time on it, it it's not a bad reference. It's not, not a bad reference to think about who we are. Then he uses the word elect, elect lady, chosen, literally, and it's just a good description of us. It's just a good description that would kind of clue in on who we are without it being overly obvious. Now, I just need to pause right here. I'm going to rabbit trail for a moment, and I need to do it, and yet here's the problem. For some of you, if I don't rabbit trail, I'm going to lose you, and others of you, if I rabbit trail, I'm going to lose you. And it's just like, a, it's like a, it's a six, one, half dozen of the other. I'm not really which way better sure to go, but let's just talk about the word elect for just a quick moment to make sure it doesn't kind of land, you know, in a place that would catch you off guards. So elect or literally chosen. I, I hold out to you again, it's a good description uh, of us as believers. In fact, the Bible uses it over and over. For just one example, it tells us in Colossians 3, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. It says, this is who you are. You are God's elect. You are the ones who've been chosen by God. You are His people, and that word elect speaks about who we are as followers of Christ. But it's right here that probably one of the biggest theological divides that divides God's people is really quite a serious deal. And for some of you, it's a serious deal right now. That is understanding the difference between being elect by God, but also having free will or choice or responsibility. The Bible's really clear. We really are elect, that He has chosen us in Christ before time began, that He would be able to tell us, hey, that's who you are, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that we are those who have been predestined, we are those who have been elect. I mean, so many spaces speak about that. Yet the Bible also uh, speaks about how that we're responsible to believe and that everybody uh, can believe in Jesus and that you're accountable if if you don't. Now, these are two truths that are found in Scripture, but they just are not able to be, you know, put together easily within the human brain. There's no way for you or I to make these two things exist in our brain at the same time as if they were, you know, went together. But I want to say it as as clear as I can. If you believe one of these over the other, if you explain one over the other, you will ultimately be calling God a liar. Again, that's maybe as harsh as I could say it and just unkind as I can say it, but I just want to tell you it's true. But I tell you, it happens all the time. Uh, There are people, and maybe you're one of them, or maybe you know somebody who is that, who takes only one side of this. So there are those who love just the idea that we're elect. Sometimes it's called Calvinism and kind of that perspective in the midst of it where people say, hey, that's where this is. But some will believe that so strongly that they ultimately believe that there's no such thing as free will, uh, that there's no such thing as responsibility. But God, what what do you do with the passages where he tells us that God so loves the world that 
whosoever, like whoever will believe in him will not perish, you know, but, but have everlasting life. That he tells us that that's an open door for everybody. It, you either have to just kind of do some really crazy gymnastics with that and say, well, he doesn't really mean anybody, or ultimately you're going to call him a liar. God, God isn't speaking truth. And I just tell you, if that's where you are, there's no other way to get there. You know, if, if you believe uh, that, you know, that, that there's no free will, ultimately you're doing away with so much of Scripture. But on the other hand, if you find yourself thinking, no, I'm really comfortable with responsibility. I'm really res- comfortable with us believing. And so some would try to explain away God's sovereignty this way. And they'll say something like, well, God chose us because he knew uh, that we would cho- choose him. Can I just tell you, that doesn't make him sovereign. That, and, and, and that would make him a liar. Because Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. You, you know, I chose you, you know, that there is a space in that. And if he only chose us because we would choose him, then, you know, that's inside knowledge. That's insider trading. That's not something honorable. That would be dishonorable, and it would not be true in the midst of it. You can't do that. So here's where I am. I mean, I'm one of these people that I'm not either one of these. I'm not a Calvinist or what's called an Arminius that would be in the free will. I'm maybe what you want to call a Biblicist. Uh, That is, I just believe in both, even though I cannot reconcile them, even though I cannot reconcile them, and I cannot uh, I, there is no way to hold both of them and say, oh, I see how these two fit together. But there's something about just recognizing, hey, God is bigger than us, like he's outside of time. I mean, there are obviously things he can see that I don't see, but I can hold both of these at the exact same moment. Now, I just want to tell you, I think that's a good space to go. Now, before we leave past that, can I just be very, very practical about this and hopefully in this practicality be helpful? When the Bible speaks about our responsibility, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it's speaking to the world, it's speaking to the lost, or it's speaking to those who are, you know, in that space where they are backsliding or moving away. And I have the freedom to say the same thing. So I could look out at you and say, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're joining us online, I don't have any problem with saying, God loves you. God sent his son for you. And if you would believe upon him, you would be saved. I want to tell you that the door is open. I want to tell you it's possible. I want to tell you that God would work in you, that he doesn't want anyone to perish, that he would give his son for you. And today we're pleading with you to give your life to Jesus. Like you can surrender your life to Jesus and we plead with you today that you would. I don't have any problem doing that and I'm doing it right now. You know, because I believe biblically that's true. Interestingly enough, though, when God speaks about election and predestination, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, he's speaking to those who are already saved. And he tells us, hey, guess what? You think you chose me? Actually, I chose you. I I, I chose you before time began. And what this does for us is a few things. For starters, it makes sure that all the glory is his, like we can't even, you know, we can't even own choosing him. But it also just fully draws us into this place of acceptance, where when we think about this, it's this place where we recognize, well, can I say it this way? If you're a follower of Jesus, God wants you. He handpicked you. And I don't know what that would do for you if you believed that. I want to tell you it would change some things. I mean, some of you, you still sit here this morning, and you're kind of like, I think I got in on a, on a, you know, on a whim. I mean, God opened up the door, and then I came in, and he's like, oh, man, if I had known. Like, I wasn't trying to get you. You know, it's kind of like I threw out the net, and then I caught Jim. You know, it's like, well, I guess I, guess I have to take you. You know, you got, instead, God said, no, I wanted you. I picked you. 
I picked you before time began, and that would give us both this acceptance and hope, and most of the time when God speaks about it, it is that way. And it would do really, really good for you to believe it that way. And, and that's even where the weight of that falls most often when that's spoken about. So before we leave this last little thought, most of the problems that people have with sovereignty and free will is because they reverse the two. Um, that they begin thinking about sovereignty in regards to the unbeliever and, and, and thinking and wrestling, like, well, what if God didn't choose them? What if he didn't choose me? And what if he doesn't, you know, what does that look like? And how do I even know if I'm elect? How do they know if they elect? Or, you know, what if my kids aren't? I mean, you just, you can get lost in a place that God's like, he doesn't ever even speak. He just says, hey, if you're thinking about them, God loves the world. Tell them, plead with them. You know, I mean, there isn't a place, and yeah, you could get lost over there, but there's, there's not a space that God invites you to that. And on the other hand, some get lost because the whole free will thing, they, they, they kind of believe, hey, I started it, I got to end it, you know, and they, and they put their whole confidence in themselves, and instead of coming into the place and saying, wow, like, wow, I mean, God's really amazing, and, and it would move us from it. So, all that simply to say, enough to really confuse you. For some of you, I hopefully answered the question that I probably needed to answer, or I would have lost you. Others, I just lost you. I'm so sorry. Come back and just say, so he's using a term that's a good biblical term. To call the church elect, it is accurate. It is an accurate description of who we are. So when Second John says it's been written to this elect lady, it's a good description of the church. But once again, in Greek culture, in Roman culture, it didn't mean that in the same way. Though we understand from a biblical reference and an Old Testament reference that it is that way, in Roman culture, the idea of being elect could as simply be, hey, you're a really special person. I choose you. Like, you're, 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 like, you're, like, you're like special. You're, you're there. So here's how it would work. I mean, you think about how we have this here. We have a special lady kind of in the midst of this. So I just want you to kind of almost imagine, you know, this Roman guard or something. He just comes across this letter. He would simply be reading this is, hey, the old man to a special lady. It's like a love letter. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's not really anything that would have immediately brought off a red flag uh, that, hey, this is, this is a Christian, you know, you know, church that's being spoken of. It isn't that way. In fact, the references continue. Just for a quick note, he continues adding to it. So we have the elect lady and her children and her children. We would understand, hey, that that would, you know, speak of a family if it was written to an individual, but to, to Christians if we are tells us in 1 John 3, you know, behold what manner of love that we get to be called the children of God. That's who we are. And if this letter is written to a church, it's powerful that it's saying so. It's saying, hey, I'm writing to the church, this elect lady, and all of her children, and all the people who are a part of it, and all the, the believers that are a part of that, hey, you are, you are my, you're the one I'm addressing. And then he just says, hey, and all who know the truth, you know, he says, I, you know, I love you, I, I, you, know, I, you know, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all who know the truth. Again, it would be another description of kind of the church universal, like everybody who's of the truth. It loves you. We're connected. And then he would end the letter by saying, hey, you're a lax sister. And if this, again, is kind of code language in the midst of it, it's just speaking of another church, like, hey, your church over here, your elect sister that I'm saying, we are writing to you and blessing you. Uh, we are writing to you and blessing you in an amazing way. So we have this reality that I'm just holding out to you as a pretty interesting thing. And lots of words there to come back to it and say, hey, it's very carefully worded. It's very carefully worded so that it wouldn't immediately arouse suspicion 
nor give away anything, and yet it would be clearly understood by those who are supposed to be reading it. And I find myself thinking about that and thinking about what Jesus spoke, where he told us in light of where you and I are supposed to live that we are supposed to be wise as serpents. Yeah, it's in Matthew 10, where Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. It's pretty clear. It's not my favorite description. I mean, it's like, wait, what? what, what? You, you're, we're sheep, and you're sending us out in the midst of wolves. You know, that doesn't sound safe. That sounds really, really dangerous. That sounds really, really scary. I, I remember kind of early on in my Christian life, I came across someone that says, hey, can we go out as Lambo? You know, kind of like, you know, can we, you know, kind of a Rambo kind of a quote for anybody. Okay, but yeah, you can just kind of, you know, can we, I mean, if we're going to go out in the, as sheep in the midst of wolves, can we go out like that? And the answer, no, I want you to be wise. I want, I want you to be wise. You know, you should think clearly because you want to handle this well, but don't be harmful. Aren't you wise as serpents, harmless as doves? It's a great kind of admonition, and I would put to you that 2 John is a great example of that, that here he's giving us this picture of kind of living in a space where all of that would be very difficult. And I don't want to take much time on it, but I'll just simply say, you know, we live in really bad days and, and, and weird and wicked days. It's not new. It's always been that way. It's been that way for 2,000 years. But nevertheless, I mean, some of us are, are more aware of these things pressing into American culture, where you would know that we live in days that what you say can be used against you. Uh, and, and it's happening. I mean, it's happening that happens within uh, communities. It happens in the midst of businesses. We could look across, you know, our world and talk about people who were, you know, employees of, of a company who, you know, decided that they were going to, you know, make all their employees wear a pride pen uh, during Pride Month. And a couple employees said, hey, that, that's against our convictions, and they are no longer employed. Uh, we'd find uh, across our world that there is an increasing pl- pressure to believe and join in, in the world, and it becomes more and more apparent that in this world, hey, we ought to be wise. We ought to be wise in how we say and what we say, because we want to represent Jesus. Now, as I say that, let me add this, because if I'm not really clear about this, then what I just said is going to be misunderstood. We need to be wise as serpents, but we absolutely need to confess Jesus. We absolutely need to make him clear. I mean, if you heard what I just said and, and made it sound like, hey, like you should keep your Christianity on the down low. Like, don't let anybody know. Don't let anybody know you're a follower of Jesus because that'll get you in trouble. That's exactly what I'm not saying. In fact, you think about it, the passage I was just reading to you out of Matthew 10, where Jesus tells us to be wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. He goes on a few verses later and says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Understand, there's no ambiguity in there. There is no space where you would, in that sense, think, okay, well, you know, in a world that, you know, is becoming more and more uh, just opposed to our beliefs and opposed to Christ, that we'd in any way downplay that. And 2 John doesn't. I mean, you can feel it from the very get-go. As he's telling all of this, he says there in verse 3, again, grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, and, and the Father in truth and love. And, and he's specifically honoring God. He's in, in no, you know, holds barred, you know, holding out who Christ is. And it's just a good way to do it. Nevertheless, he doesn't give anybody's names. He doesn't give any location. 
there would be no way that this you know, document found uh, in, in a Roman world could have been used uh, to arrest anybody, uh, to like, hey, we think this is talking about you. It's like, well, it's written to an elect sister. Like, I don't know, how, how would you, you couldn't use this, you know, as some way to get a hold of them, and it's very well worded in that regarding just a good space of wisdom for us. Well, with that held out to us, a few other quick things. So it's carefully worded. I really, really like that. It also prioritizes face-to-face communication over written communication. Go on down and see it. Pick it up at the end of the letter in verse 12. It says, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak to you face-to-face that our joy may be full. Since I had a lot of things to say, but I didn't want to write them down, you know, and there's just a couple things we could think about. For starters, I mean, honestly, face-to-face communication is so superior uh, to written communication. You probably know this, right? It's good for us just to remind ourselves in the day of email and text that the problem that, you know, I mean, probably some of you have gotten in trouble, you know, for an email and text you sent because people didn't understand what you were saying. Face-to-face communication adds tremendous weight. To be able to hear someone's tone of voice, see their, their facial expression, it's just a massively better way to communicate, and it ought to be something that we both value. But add to that in this space, uh, it is kind of a, a statement not only of saying, hey, that would be better, but in this space, in a space where persecution uh, might be mounting, it would be so much better if we just talked face-to-face. You know, I don't want to have anything that, you know, would, could, you know, then be just found in that. And there's just something weighty and, and just kind of helpful in that that I find helpful, but just toss it out to you. That there is something about just that place of connection being personal and real, even in the midst of this, which would be amazing. So he prioritizes that. He doesn't spend a lot of time writing about it. The other thing that's really noteful is that he celebrates an unbreakable connection that they all have. So just feel it. There in verses 1 and 2, uh, just one actually, it says, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who have known the truth. In Christ, in who we are in Christ, one of the really helpful and hopeful things to think about in a world that has gone wrong is that there's nothing could steal us from Christ. It's really, really important for us to kind of feel that because we do live in a world that told us at the end of 1 John, some of you may remember that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Was that way 2,000 years ago? It is that way now. But it can't steal what we have in Christ. Think about how it gives it to us in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, could any of that get between us and Christ? Could any of these things, if they come our way, if it's persecution, if it's famine, if, it's, if they're pulling out their, their swords and threat, could any of those get between us and Jesus? And he just says no. You know, he says, as it's written, we are killed all day long, counted as sheep for the slaughter, kind of this reference to the Old Testament. It's like, here's where we are in this world. But he says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We, we, we don't just survive, we overcome. We overcome everything the world is. We overcome everything that's thrown against us. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Like, wow. I mean, it's just really, really good news. I mean, it's just really, really good news to be reminded that nothing could get in there. That if we're followers of Jesus, not anything the world does, not anything that would come our way could ever separate us from that. And with that, understand, that connects us not only to Christ, that connects us to each other. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are in an unbreakable Uh, just for every eternal relationship with other believers, that you're in a space that nothing could get in there, that nothing could separate us from that connection we have. And again, I just want you to make sure you feel that. Do you you just kind of feel that, that, that essence here in this letter where he's writing it and says, again, to the elect lady in verse one, and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who, who have who have known the truth. And then he just says it again in verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you. Like all the believers over in this church, we greet you as well. There's something wonderful and weighty and and beautiful in the midst of this. So I don't know how familiar you are with the persecuted church. Um, you know, we, we talk about it often here in our fellowship. In fact, in just a few weeks, it's going to be the International Day of the Persecuted Church. And so we will, you know, pass out you some pamphlets and talk about it then. Uh, but if you're familiar with anything that's taking place around the world and, and some of the writings that have come to us from them, one of the things you would know is that this is what they want more than almost anything else. They just said, that you would remember us, that you would know us. It means more to us than anything else, that you're praying for us. Uh, We need that more than we need uh, anything else you could do for us, Uh, just that we'd be remembered, which is what God tells us to do. Tells us in Hebrews to remember the prisoner as if we were chained with them, that there is something about that, that there's this beautiful connection that just would say, hey, I just want you to know. I just want you to know, everybody, look, you are part of a family in Christ, and every person in that family is connected to you, and and everybody who knows the truth loves, and, you know, we will be there for all eternity, and there's something life-giving in the midst of that that's just helpful. In fact, I find it helpful for us here. Maybe you find yourself thinking, well, Jim, I understand there's an increasing persecution here in the West, but it's still kind of minimal compared to, like, North Korea. True, but I find it even helpful for me just to sit there and go, "I, I send these greetings out to my brothers and sisters, boy, I love them. I mean, they're my family in Christ. And I I know I'm connected. I'm going to spend eternity with them in Christ. And this is a really, really good thing. And there's something about the weight of that in the midst of this very short letter that is just communicating a beautiful message of connection and love. So we're watching this. We're watching how this is all modeled for us. Let me give you one more thing uh, for our study here this morning. And that is in the midst of it, in the midst of a very short letter, he still very keeps to the gospel truths keeps to some of the main things. Obviously not reading all of it, but it's worth just noting it again. You already saw it. But in the first four verses, it's the issue of truth. You know, he says, the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, not only I, but also those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides with us and will be with us forever. You know, he just says it over and over. It's truth. Hey, we are a people of the truth. He'll go on in verse 4 and say, I'm so great, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth. Yeah, we are meant to be a people of truth, and that's what he's speaking about. He's speaking about that place of being truth and ultimately the truth being Jesus. You know, that Jesus is, you know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then he speaks about love. In verse 5, he says, Now I plead with you, lady 
not as though I write you a new commandment, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Is that just reminding you? <laughs> just reminding you of the great commandment that Jesus gave us. Hey, we need to be those who are walking in love. And he goes through to describe it a little bit. Then in verse 7, he'll say, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver. This is an antichrist. So in the midst of this very, very short letter, it's an interesting thing just to note those things that he's speaking about. Truth, love, deception. Uh, that he's warning those things about it, which, by the way, that is the title to our series in Second John, really, really original and greatly, you know, it's truth, love, and deception. I mean, that's kind of what this letter is about, saying, hey, this is what we need to think about. This is what we need to think about. Now, these are great truths. If you were with us in First John, you would recognize that we've, these were what we addressed in First John in some ways. These are some of the great nuggets that are there, but let me just ask you to think about this in a different way. So what's not here? What's not here in this letter? What's not present in this letter? Notice what is not talked about. It's not talked about politics. Uh, it's not talking about culture, which actually was a big surprise to the Roman world. They, they just thought that's what the church was. One of the lies that permeated the world is they thought that the church was revolutionary, that it was going to come and seek to overthrow, but it was never what they were. I mean, it could have. I mean, this letter, if it is in the midst of persecution, could have attacked uh, the present, you know, Caesars in the midst about it, could have, you know, talked about the oppression and what was there. And one of the amazing things is it just doesn't. It just sticks to the main things, like truth, love, and stay away from lies. Stay away from the deception that would rob you of Christ. I mean, in one sense, it's so powerfully stated that way. So I just give it to you as a thought. You, you can take this or leave this. Um, Our world's in a weird space right now. I mean, just moving away, uh, and, and the church itself in America is not necessarily doing overly well. Um, across our land right now, there are a number of churches that have adopted our culture. And so, in Sunday morning pulpits, they will stand up and basically say, hey, everything the world believes, we believe too. Like, like, you know, whether it's, you know, kind of a woke understanding or whether it be, you know, kind of the morality that the world has, uh, gender confusion that the world has. There are churches that today will stand up and say, hey, we believe the same thing you believe. Like, uh, you, you should just, you know, accept us because we accept you. And I just want to tell you, it's a really tragic reality. Untrue, not who we are. But the sad reality is then there are other churches that now because of that, they will spend their entire Sunday morning uh, preaching uh, to the world, uh, you know, as if we're here to, you know, write all the, you know, wokeism and, and all the stuff that's in the world, as if that was our message. Our message is not. Our message is Christ. Our message is Jesus. Our message is stay, sticking to the truth and, and the love of Christ and staying there. And one of the amazing things is this letter, in a very succinct way, says, hey, these are the things we're about. Like, this, this is what I want to talk about. Like, these are the things I want to give you in the midst of this crazy world. I want to talk to you about truth. I want to talk to you about love. And I want to talk to you about, you know, the, the Antichrist, the Satan's deception that would rob you of Christ. I mean, these are the, really the key things. And I absolutely love this. Because in so many ways, it's all about Christ. Everything in there. He is the truth. He is the source of love. And, and that which we're being moved, you know, trying to move away from in an Antichrist deception is to rob you of Christ. One of the great things that we need to make sure is in the midst of a world that is increasingly oppressive, increasingly um, speaking evil of who we are, man, 
Stay to the truth. You know, I mean, like, we, we need, we need to, if, if ever we needed to be like, hey, I, this is what I am. Like, this is what I am. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking this. I, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the, the, the truth that's in him. I, I, I'm not here, you know, to talk about political parties or, or, or those things. I'm here to tell you about Christ. I mean, that is what I am. And, and I love in the midst of that, I love that it's, a, to me, a great example in the midst of those days. So we're watching this whole place where, you know, he just says, okay, there is this, there is this space where we're writing to this, we're writing to this church, and I think it's just really well modeled for us. Now, I don't know how applicational that feels. I don't know how, like, okay, if you're like, okay, Jim, I needed that, that's right where we are, but I think it is. And so here's what I want to do. I want to kind of begin to head towards a close. I'm not closing yet, so don't tune me out yet. But I think about one of the verses I read to you just a moment ago there in Matthew 10 when Jesus is speaking, and I wanted to do something. Just, I just want to read to you that whole section. It's a little bit longer than I normally read, uh, and I just want you to listen to it. Or you can turn. If you really want to turn, you can do that. But if you just want to listen to it, I just want you to hear Jesus speak to us and, and, and in this place where he would give us instructions that I would say speaks about those who are facing the kind of things that Second John is dealing with. So here's what he says. Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, like see this, look, make sure you understand it. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men. They will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. What a grace. It's like, hey, I'll, I'll help you. Like, I'll help you represent me in this world. Like, trust me in those moments. I'll meet you in them. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death, and his father, his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Just pause there and just feel that for a moment. What a destructive space that's going to tear apart not just communities, but families. Hey, we live in those days, honestly. Some of it began, you know, even in our nation in the midst of the COVID world where, you know, people were asked to turn in their families, and people did turn in their families. What a crazy world we have, and yet there's something about Jesus. What did you expect? I'm telling you right now. Sometimes it's going to be divisive, even among families. He says, you'll, you'll be hated. Like, people are going to hate you. All for my name's sake but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. When one door closes, just go to the next one. Just keep going. Just keep going. If persecution makes something close down, then move to the next space. Just go to the next place because that's going to keep happening until Jesus gets back. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, called him a demon, called him a devil, how much more will they call us of his household? I mean, like we should expect that they would treat us and call us by such things. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. 
Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I just hear that, but it's encouraging, though. It says, the worst they could do is kill you. You know, that's the very word your soul is, you know, be more concerned about your soul. Be more concerned about that. And then he just gives it to us this way. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do, there, do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. I mean, just something to speak to those who are facing these hard spaces. Like, you are valued. Like, you are va- God sees you, and nothing is happening that he's not allowing. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, Jesus says, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. That which we already spoke about, like, held fast to Jesus. Don't let this culture drive that away from you. Don't let it keep you from believing in Jesus. Do not think, Jesus says, that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water, in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Wow. Those are Jesus' instructions, that he looks upon this and says, hey, I know where I'm sending you. I know the world in which I'm putting you in, but I'm giving you enough to do that. I'm giving you the ability to stand in those days. And I just want to tell you, I think that makes Second John a worthwhile uh, consideration for us, both to see that known, but practiced to watch, uh, you know, one seeking to live in such days, which I think, well, I hope is helpful. So that's where we're going to close. You can take your Bibles and close them. And so wherever that has met you this morning, and I hope it has, though I recognize it's uh, a, a challenge to think this through in these days, but it's encouraging. I hope it is. So would you take a moment, and I don't know what it was. I don't know where God would have spoken to you, but wherever that is, I'm just going to invite you to ask God to meet you in it and strengthen you. Maybe something in the midst of it, or even Jesus speaking to it, is exactly what you needed to hear to stand in these days. But I'll end here and just say, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we invite you to confess him. We invite you to to believe upon him and be saved. And, And in this quiet moment, you can ask him for that. And if you need more, hey, talk to us after the service, and we would love to help connect you with him. But right now, you take a moment and pray. I'll do the same, and we'll close in worship in just a moment.
God, thank you for just telling us the truth. I think about just the reminder that we live in a world that has fallen, that you make very, very plain to us that Satan is the prince of the, of the power of the air, that our whole world lies under his sway. We recognize that our place as followers of Christ in this world is set against that. And Jesus, as simply as you told us, if they treated you so poorly, ultimately leading to the cross, why would we expect that the world would embrace us? Why would we expect to be fairly treated if there was such a thing in this world? When we're just reminded that there is not, Jesus, thank you for your words that challenge us and call us to live in these days while. But I thank you for 2 John. As we begin just a short study in this small letter, I thank you for a living example of those living in such a space and doing it well, doing it well, holding fast to you, but doing it in a way that's protecting and watching over one another and, and just some beautiful things that are in the midst of it. God, help us to be more like that in these days in a very confused world and sadly in some who are say to be followers of you, they're very confused. May we be those who hold fast to you, shine for you, live for you. May you help us, Lord, to be wise as serpents harmless as doves. May you help us to be those who shine the light of Christ well in these days. Simply, very simply, just asking for that for each one of us now as we surrender this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May God meet you in that. May he encourage you, I hope, through this to, to, to be the person that he has you to be in this generation. If you have questions, uh, if you don't know Jesus, we're here. Come up, talk to us afterwards. We'd love to be a part of that. But right now, let's close in worship. So why don't you stand as we sing this final song. And as we do so, I just want to bless you in, in the name of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.